You're listening to The Brilliant Ones Podcast with me, your host, Donnie Adams, a show about entrepreneurs and the companies they build. Join me weekly as I speak with entrepreneurs from all over who share their experiences and advice on the companies they created. And be sure to follow us on YouTube and Instagram at The Brilliant Ones. Hey everyone, thanks for joining for another episode of the Brilliant Ones podcast with me, your host, Donnie Adams, where I speak with entrepreneurs and the companies they build. I have a special guest joining me today, Abu Sadiq, CEO and founder of Zartec. Abu, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really appreciate it. And I and think about the day is, you know, it's it's a lot going on when it comes down to cybersecurity. And your company, you know, a uh, cybersecurity consulting firm is is has grown rapidly over the past couple of years and definitely want to dive into that. And as we speak on that, but I really want to learn more about your story. Right. And um, you being, you know, you grew up here in Dallas and uh, talk, speak about, you know, what got you into IT? Sure. Um, so I landed here in Dallas about back in 1990. I went to UT Dallas to study my original um course was in finance and accounting. And then after graduation, I worked five years as an accountant, corporate accountant, and I did not like it at all, uh, doing credits, uh, debits and credit all the time. I did not find it to be creative. So I went back to school at night and did my master's in MIS and did a lot of the, took a lot of the classes like uh, software development and all those things. And then after graduation, I applied for to a company called um, Alcatel. They were pretty big and huge at that time, and I got hired as a programmer analyst. So I started at the trenches, and then over my career, I went up the ladder all the way to a CIO position for a global oil and gas company. So over time, I did a lot of things, um, from software programming to managing large implementation projects for different organizations. And... Um, so on. Wow. And so even doing your journey when you were getting, you know, getting uh, your master's in IT, at what point did you know that you were going to go into IT security, right? Because IT is so big, right? It's so, you know, huge from not only from a sales perspective, but from a development standpoint. But there's so many ways you can kind of go into. What made you choose security? Very good question. So um, security is the last area I wanted to be in because it's a lot of headache. Right. And a lot of responsibility. If you are the head of information security for organization and they have a major breach, that means you're going to be out of a job because it was your responsibility to protect. Right. So um, I, I see myself as an accidental um, person in the security space. Um, in my role as a chief information security officer of organization, I also had a dual responsibility for information security. And so I learned the hard way how to go and protect the organization, their infrastructure, the data they have in there, and understood how to protect. And during my career at the, several organizations, we had security issues. Um, so um, I learned the hard way how to go and uh, do all of those. So back in 2016 is when I decided that um, since I'm very passionate about helping organization, this is one area that I want to go and help organization because security is a big problem worldwide. Uh, it costs about a trillion dollar. This is from companies spending in security and then also having to pay out ransomware. The trillion dollar is a lot of money. And 
if you look at the stats, the small to mid-sized business, those are the ones that once they have a major breach are going out of business because they are not able to afford to pay. So while I was doing security for uh, several organizations, I found that there might be an easier way to help this organization. So we went and built a software solution. So uh, we named our solution Cyberator. Basically what it does, it, it can look at an organization's entire security program in terms of how they're leveraging people, process, and technology, and it understands the gap. And then based on the gap, it helps them remediate all the uh, actions they need, need to take to be more secure. A good way to explain this is I try to use the iceberg analogy. So if you look at the iceberg, the majority of the mass is underwater. And we don't see a lot of the mass that's over the water. So in security, organizations are addressing what they can see in terms of the cyber risk, which is above the water. What our software does is helps them understand all the other areas that they may be neglecting or maybe blind spot, uh, citing them. So this could be security controls not in place or ineffective. It could be security awareness training that they're missing. Uh, it could be other processes that are not there. So that's where our software that we built helps organization address those. No, that's, that's a good way to tackle, especially as I mentioned, it's a lot of stuff is going on, just ransom, ransomware, a lot of attacks. So how does your solution help with, you know, alongside existing security protocols that most, you know, maybe SMB customers have, which I'm assuming that's that's what you're focusing on. Is it mid-market or are you working on the enterprise level? What is your uh, what is your, your sweet spot for your solution? Uh, we build a solution to be industry and geolocation agnostic as well as size. Mm -hmm. So our tool has this profiling engine in it. So it can profile the organization, for example, based on the location, the industry they are in, the size, and it tailors itself. So, for example, if it's a U.S.-based company uh, in healthcare industry and accepts credit card, what it will do is it will pull in the regulations, frameworks that tie to, for example, uh, healthcare industry has to comply with HIPAA. Right. If you're accepting credit card, you have to comply with the PCI DSS. Right. So it pulls all those standards, and, and then... It pulls in uh, some of the best security frameworks that's out there and takes that and it aligns it to the organization to see how the organization is conforming to those best standards. And then it rates them. Uh, so our software will give them a score very similar to the FICO score. FICO score helps the lender understand the risk of lending money to an individual. Right. With our score, the organization understands what kind of risk they have in terms of having a cybersecurity breach. And our software also comes up with a prioritized remediation plan. So this organization can take that and within a short time address the gaps they have and improve their security. Oh, so right once once they get that report, kind of like the, like a like a like a credit card report, right? And from there they could take a look at um, exactly what what security what what where security actions that they need to take place. Now from once they see this sheet. Does your organization come in and say, hey, do you all partner with, you know, maybe other third-party security firms that can help specifically these, these issues? So, like, for an example, maybe there's an issue going on with their firewall. Is your organization say, hey, we, we have an existing, you know, partner that we work with and we can assist this? Or does your organization can fix that gap? Very good question also. Um, so, in the 
full-blown report that they get. It also has, as I mentioned, a prioritized action plan. So it will prioritize, okay, which are the items that they need to tackle first would have the biggest impact. And anything that requires the technology, our um, report will include a um, set of vendors that can help them. Uh, we can help them in some cases, but most of them we cannot. That's not our expertise. So we do offer, and we are pretty neutral on these vendors. We And we say, okay, these are five different vendors out there that can help you address each of these areas. Right. No, and speaking of, you, you talk about addressing what, you know, what, the, what actions to tackle, right? Uh, in the SMB world, right, these small business owners, they have, you know, they constraint on budgets, right? It's budget's important. How, how important is them to prioritize security in today's world? It is very, very important because these bad guys, the bad actors who are making a living off hacking companies, they know this smaller organization don't have a team or don't have software solution in place to protect them. So they go after these companies more. And so they use different techniques like phishing campaigns where uh, they will send in malicious email for the employees to click on, and that's what downloads their malware and for them to do a ransom attack. Right. Yeah. So because of the limited resources, these companies are very, very vulnerable. And so one of the things we try to do is we also tell them, okay, um, there is uh, alternative ways instead of uh, buying state-of-the-art software, there is open-source software that you can leverage for free. And and we also tell them step-by-step step how to go and fix it on their own. So one of the stats we saw that when we did the analysis of all the data breaches or ransomware attacks that were happening, 80% of them are very quick fixes. The top one is due to human error. Uh, human error is, for example, employees not being trained, so they don't have the security awareness. So training the employees so that they're aware of not clicking on a malicious link and then having a strong password. And then the other recommendation we get them is multi-factor authentication. So in addition to having a password, also use a secondary form of authentication. And then the process, which is uh, you have your firewall, you have your software, those needs to be passed as soon as there's a vulnerability that's out there. Just by doing this top three things, they can address 80% of the cyber risk. And you know, what's, what's funny that you say that is, I, I know a, a small organization that actually, you know, underwent a huge ransomware attack. And it's, it, it, it jeopardized them a lot because it slowed business down and it had a huge impact on their customers. I mean, a lot of the customers were also, because it, it dealt with, you know, PC, PCI. And so it was a huge jeopardizing when you're talking about people's, you know, credit card information. I mean, how, how are you seeing, you know, some of these hackers and what should people be, you know, as we spoke about, like phishing, phishing attacks, right? Uh, phishing emails that come in right through emails. What should these small business, medium-sized business pay attention to just so they, they know to avoid, right? Because like, like you mentioned, they don't have a huge IT staff or maybe, you know, maybe even an IT manager, right? I'm just, uh, you know, maybe I'm a bakery, right, somewhere, and I don't have the, the time to really put, you know, 
hire a huge security presence. I'm cool with getting, you know, a Cisco Meraki device, and I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm safe. But in that sense, um, how do you, 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 you stay, continue to stay protected and what things to avoid? Um, so as I mentioned, the number one would be having a very strong security awareness program in place. Right. So train the users on uh, different kind of threats the organization can face, uh, do at least on a monthly basis or maybe in a quarterly basis, phishing campaigns. Mm-hmm. And, and so a good example of a phishing campaign I've seen at different clients is the first time they launch a campaign, they see that uh, there is 30% click rate on this um, phishing emails that go out, go out to the right. employees. And so when they click on the employees, it shows that on there that, hey, you shouldn't, this if this was a real um, phishing attack, this would have damaged the organization. So then they have them watch a security awareness training. Right. So over time, once they keep doing this, they were able to reduce the 30% click rate all the way down to 7%. Wow. So that's a huge improvement. Yeah. No, for sure. Right. And this doesn't cost that much money at all. And then the other uh, training would be um, being socially aware. Some of the big attacks happened. We see um, the hackers, when we think about a hacker, we see a bunch of guys sitting behind computers. Right writing script to attack. Yeah. But we have found from case studies that some of the hackers, they wear expensive suits, Rolex watches, high-end cars, and they frequent high-end restaurants, bars, and where they uh, target uh, potential employees who are executives within companies. And through different kind of social engineering, they try to understand information that they can use leverage to do the attacks. And they have done that and used that information to hack into these companies. So uh, making the organization aware, security awareness training, and then, as I mentioned, um, keeping up to date with the latest patches, that will be a big difference. Right. So the, my theory is, do, are, are hackers working a typical job? Are they typically working a nine-to-five and they might do some hacking at night? Or do you, what do you think is the ideal life of a hacker? Or can, anyone can be a hacker, per se. This is a very good question again. Um, from what we found is right now anyone can be a hacker. Right. And it doesn't cost that, that much money. So all you have to do is download one of the Tor browsers and go on, on the dark web. And you will see that hacking tools are now being offered as a software as a service. So you pay a yearly fee and you get access to the latest and greatest hacking tools out there. It's not that very expensive. And then you download them and then you can start hacking. And it's very easy for somebody to use a proxy server or something and go after organization. And, um, and the money is out there so much that you have large organization who operate. I've even seen... Um, organizations, these hacking organizations, they have HR department, customer service. For example, when you get a ransom attack, <laughs> the screen that pops up, it says that if you need any help with cryptocurrency transfer, give us a call and we will walk, we will walk you through it. Wow. You know, another thing that's getting hacked is uh, social media profiles. Um, so uh, last year, 
I was I actually experienced, experienced like a like a rent, rent, ransomware attack on my social media account. So unfortunately, I didn't have two factor authentication set up. So they were able to you know get my password and then they added a whole bunch of pictures, put on story, and said a whole bunch of stuff. Pretty much asking like uh, you know my followers to give them money and and so forth. And I, I was I was I used another account to talk directly with the hacker, and he wanted money, and he was just like, "Give me money, and I'll get your account back." I was this close to giving him some money, <laughs> but it, 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 but it, I was just like, you know what, it's not worth it. I'll just create a whole new profile. So I think social media is is something that I see a lot of hacking. Like I know a few friends of mine over the past year, they they experienced the same thing. Oh yeah, yeah, social media attacks that are happening left and right. Right. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Uh, the other area of concern I see is um, companies using IoT devices. So what I, by IoT, I mean devices that have is Wi-Fi enabled and they're using in their houses. Mm-hmm. So right now we see people have um, Wi-Fi enabled refrigerators in their house, uh, washing machine, um, their uh, vacuum cleaner, everything. You may be wondering, okay, what's the problem with that? But let me give you, give you a scenario. So let's say you hooked up your uh, refrigerator to the Wi-Fi network and you get hacked for some reason. So somebody's monitoring and they monitor your refrigerator and they see that you haven't opened it for several days. So that tells them, okay, this guy is out of the house vacationing. This is a good time to go and do a burglary. And also all these IoT devices, the firmware, it doesn't get updated uh, as we do on our own laptops. So those are kind of weak. So they use a mechanism on going into those IoT devices and then hacking into other devices like workstations. There was recently, there was a casino in Las Vegas who got hacked. They were hacked uh, from a thermometer that was in the fish tank. That's how the hackers got into it, into wow. their network. <laughs> These hackers are pretty smart. Uh, yeah. It's just unbelievable how, how smart, you know, it just bizarres me how smart people can get and just the little things that we, we take for granted. And especially in today's age, uh, we're going to see a, a, a continuous increase in uh, IoT devices. And it's, it's making sure that those items stay protected. Definitely. So, um, uh, my recommendation on on the IoT devices at home is uh, create a different um, beeline for your home. Have kind of a guest network separate, and on the separate guest network, attach all your IoT devices and use the other network for your work workstations or your phones. All right. So now going back to Zartec, you uh, I read that you you bootstrap. Uh, yes, the co- the company, and is it in? Um, maybe you can go. You can kind of go into that all, uh, as well. But you, are, you, are you have you received any you know outside funding as well, or it's still one hundred percent you know? We are yourself? still one hundred percent bootstrapped, wow. and and um, so some of the problems we faced was uh, location Dallas wise. There's not too many venture capital here. Mm-hmm. You need good connection to be the venture capital. That was um, one challenge I faced. And then the other challenge, when I talked to a few of the angel investors, um, that uh, single founder uh, 
led startups is not attractive they see as a risk right and then um so uh i had enough capital to move and have a mvp out there so we uh, launched our first version and we were able to get paid customers and the other way we were also able to fund ourselves is we offered started offering some cybersecurity services consulting services that has been paying so then um we were able to able to go up, get more paid customers and grow that way organically but the challenge now i'm facing is the cybersecurity market is extremely saturated and very, very crowded yeah every company out there is heavily funded right. they spend so much money in marketing and um so we are kind of getting squeezed on the corner and so uh, we have to raise capital that's what we have decided right yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't know that. I know Austin is is full of uh, a lot of a lot of VCs, um, and uh, and that's that's a growing area full of like so many so many tech startups. How 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 is the uh, scene out here in Dallas? It is not. Um, so we got really excited when Capital Factory first opened their doors here, mm-hmm. and then um, during COVID, they shut it down, that operation. Right. And then recently, they, they just opened up again. So, uh, but uh, investment-wise, what we have found is Dallas is not a good spot. Yeah. Yeah. I know uh, a few friends of mine, they, they raised some money through some, some VCs out, out in Austin, as well as Houston. Houston has started this do this tech incubator. They have a few out there, but it's, it's one called uh, the Ion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few VC firms in there, and um, it's it's been a great resource uh, for you know you know upcoming entrepreneurs looking to kind of get guidance. And so throughout the week, very similar to Capital Factory, they have like um, different showcases, uh, different meet meetups, uh, pitch competitions for founders, uh, different classes and workshops that you can kind of help clone your skills as a founder. Um, you know, and with some, some organizations like Capital Factory, how have you been able to utilize their resources to, to grow Zartec? Um, so from, uh, their oper- uh, operation, we have been, um, uh, part of Capital Factory since 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have not found that much help in terms of going and getting investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, w- with that even being, from outside investors, it, not, I'm not, even excluding investors, I'm just talking about in general of just you know getting the word out. Maybe I don't know if you have a board of directors or advisors that you know you work with, right? What resources have Capital Factory provided you as far as growing um, Zartec? Uh, Capital Factory has. Um, slew of mentors mm. um, so all the companies who are involved with capital factory they can take advantage of those mentors yeah. and then uh, based on their preference they can bring them as advisors um, zartec we do have a capital factory mentor who is an advisor for us um, so coming back to our uh, raising funds uh, we are very lean because we have not raised money so what we found that Raising capital is a full-time job, so it yeah. diverts us from growing, helping our customer, growing the software, building the software more out. So we decided, okay, uh, let us organically grow and secure our customers, grow our revenue to where uh, we are very, very attractive, and then the uh, investors will come yeah, to us. 
that's the approach we took, and we are heading that way. No, that's great. So early on, once you got the MVP rolling, you had automatically start reaching out to a few folks. I'm assuming you did validation, right? Did you go through a validation period where you say, hey, this is something that I know you all need? And uh, and would you all, how much would you all pay for it, right? How did that process come about? Exactly, like you said. So I first ran the idea by a couple of peers who have been doing security much longer, much, and they're much smar- smarter than me. Um, so out of the two people I ran the idea, one was like, yeah, this is a great idea. You should run with it. The other person said um, he was having a hard time uh, understanding how to monetize this. So they recommended I do a focus group. And, and they helped me with the focus group. We invited about 25 individuals who are potential users of the software. And we had a good participation. Almost 14, 15 people showed up. Um, in there, so I explained them, and the initial um, idea was based on about 10, 20% of what the software does right now, which is uh, the risk assessment. So through a PowerPoint, I uh, gave them an idea about the software solution, and then I circulated a questionnaire asking them, uh, what do you think about this? Would you buy it for your organization if you would? Uh, how much will you pay for it? And then how much, uh, what functionality do you think is missing? And overwhelmingly, the response was good. So that gave us some validation to move forward. In fact, when we first launched, one of our first customers was one of the focus group attendees. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That came full circle around really quickly. Yeah. So how, how long did it take you to de- develop the software? Uh, we, so our software is kind of huge right now. It has 10 different modules. Mm-hmm. So um, we started developing about five and a half years ago. And we are constantly upgrading, tweaking it, um, and making it better because we we are uh, embedded in with several clients. So we see how they're using the software, how can we matter. So we are constantly tweaking and making improvements to it. Right. And so you, you spoke about, obviously, the cybersecurity market is getting saturated, right? How does your solution, right, the 10 modules that you all have developed, and you can continue to work on on the solution. How is there any competitors that are doing exactly what you're doing right? Do they have a cyber raider, and and how are, and what are you, things are you doing to uh, differentiate yourself from them? Um, so in cybersecurity, um, if you break it down on the different categories, we fall under the risk management category: governance, risk, and compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, so our software helps with the risk assessment piece. Um, so in this space, there are several players out there who has GRC solution, but what we do is, um, you can say we built a much better mousetrap. Um, these solutions, the existing solutions that's in the market, they cost tons of money and it takes a lot of uh, ramp up time. Um, yeah. some of the bigger solution even takes a month and a half. The way we built our solution is the, um, Without writing a single line of code, we can get a new client onboarding in just like a day or two. Wow. And they can use software. And so a lot of the things are programmed in. And the way it goes in and does a risk assessment of an organization is very, very unique. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the traditional approach of doing a risk assessment for a company, uh, you would go in and interview a ton of people, look at their data center, right. look at their process, everything. It takes time. 
takes time. Yeah. And then once you have the data, then what you have to do is align that to the framework standards. Uh, so in our software, we did exactly the same thing, but we automated. We um, we have the logics built in. We have some AI in there. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's how we have taken something that takes two weeks down to just a few hours. All right. So how how does your your software does it touch on vendor risk management as well? It does. Okay. It does. It has a module in there for vendor risk management. Okay. Um, so. A um, good example would be um, one of the clients, they were doing vendor risk management um, manually. Uh, they had Excel spreadsheet with a lot of the assessment questions. Yeah. And they had two full-time resources that they were using. Um, the resources would, whenever they have a new vendor to onboard, they would send out the assessment questionnaire, look at the vendor respo response, and then determine if there is any risky items to we automated that whole piece. So for all, if you're a new client and you have, let's say, uh, 800 vendors, all we need is an Excel spreadsheet with the vendor names list and our software parses through it and creates a profile for those 800 vendors. Next step for you would be to create a campaign and you select all the vendors and then hit start. The software sends email out to every single 800 vendors and then send some link, link to the assessment. And there is a video that the vendor can watch, a uh, 30-second video of how to go and complete one of the assessments. And the assessment is very, very, uh, how would you say, it's a very, very engineered to go and understand the entire security program. Once the vendor completes it, um, for our client, it creates a dashboard and then tells, okay, how did the vendor score, similar to the FICO score, right. and then it, brings up to the top where are some of the items that our software found that needs to be addressed. So then our clients using our software um, responses back to those areas to the vendor saying, hey, we need you to address these or provide additional information. So they use the tool to collaborate back and forth and then bring it to closer. And the campaigns can be set up on a periodic basis. So let's say you want to do it on a yearly so um, when you set it up initially, you can say, I want it done yearly. Next year, it automatically triggers and does all those. Oh, wow. So, uh, well, it's, it's a, it, well, it's a cheat now, but when I got my background is enterprise software software sales. So when I got started you know, a couple of years back, uh, I sold a uh, vendor risk management software for oh, a large okay. uh, financial institution. So yeah, very, very, our solution was exactly like how, just how you described um, we had, you know, uh, a, 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 a vendor survey that they would complete, right? We called it a survey, not an assessment, and they'll complete the survey. And then one of the things that we had in our tool too gave uh, uh, gave the uh, opportunity for a vendor to uh, upload, you know, uh, their their insurance policies, uh, the ISOs, all those documents that we took. So is, is that same ours case? does too? Yes. Oh, okay. Ours does too. So the use case that I was giving you um, for that client. Um, so it was taking them four hours to do one assessment. Yeah. So by using our software, they were able to reduce the headcount as well as uh, cost-wise and reduce the time. Yeah, vendor risk management is important, especially is. you know because you it's uh, especially uh, organizations that have your 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 data as well and making sure that you know they're not you know if they're hacked, it's not this not jeopardize your business. Um, and 
it's something that you just don't want to happen. And especially in today's age, you like you mentioned, uh, a lot of it is still done manually. And a lot of small organizations are doing vendor risk management, you know, manually using the Excel sheet. Right. And they're just managing that way. They're not thinking about all the, you know, the, you know, the, the risks that can come associated with just doing business with another a third party. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, a lot of the latest breaches that happen is to third parties. Yeah. There was a huge breach uh, that happened to a third party. I don't know. Was it? It was. Uh, you know who? I'm trying I, to think. I know, but I'm drawing a blank now. Yeah, on the name. I'm trying to draw a blank too. Oh, man. Yeah, it, uh, Solar Wind. Solar Wind? Yeah. Well, I don't think it was Solar Wind, but it, it just happened recently? And Solar Wind happened last year. Okay. But it was a big deal because a lot of their product was thousands of companies. Yeah. And the hacker, um, Solar, the way that it happened was um, hacker was able to embed their code in within SolarWind. Uh-huh. So when SolarWind pushed out their patch, it went with the uh, bad code in there. Yeah. So it, it affected tons of companies out there. Wow. That has to take a very sophisticated hacker, I'm going to assume it right. That's not someone who can just go on and download a, a torrent software by, you know, hacking as a service platform and just go after a large organization like SolarWinds, right? That you, takes you years. La- you laugh how they got into it. It came down to a bad password. <laughs> it was like SolarWinds123 or something like that was the password. Yeah. Wow. And it did jeopardize a whole huge company. They were able to get into their system, yeah. Yeah. But even to pull off larger attacks, there was another one uh, in Atlanta. It was a company that's based out of Atlanta. Was it a credit card company? Or uh, I think it was a credit card company. I'm not sure. But they they were hacked. And even with some of these big organizations, it, it, do these really take sophisticated hackers to kind of, you know, really get some of these large organizations? I think there was, Uber was just hacked, right? Uber like, was yeah, hacked. Yeah, Uber yes. was hacked. So is it is it are these hackers really that sophisticated or is it just – you know, someone who's just like, oh, let me go download the torrent software and hope, you know, this no, platform not. works. They are not. They're not yeah. sophisticated at all. Um, um, so I had a call from an attorney, um, and the reason he called me was that one of his client email system was hacked. And, and the hacker went into the email system and read through every single email, and they figure out, this company is a nut exporter from Mexico and they would buy export in and then sell it. So they figured out who the buyers and sellers were. So using their email system, they sent an email to the buyer saying, Hey, we changed our bank by going forward for any purchase you make, send the money here. And they, about a million and a half dollars worth of purchases were a uh, transaction happened and the money went to the, so soon the seller figured out something was wrong. So they reached out to the buyer and asked them, why have you been paying us? And the seller goes, no, we have been paying for you, all your invoices. And then they found out this was the situation. Oh man. That's, that's horrible. That's so, that's crazy. And you know, uh, you know, what's so funny is something like something like that is happening like pretty much every day. Probably. And, um, 99% of this information of these breaches, hacks, is not publicly disclosed because it has a reputation hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then the government doesn't require you to disclose it until, unless it impacts consumer data. 
So by consumer data, it could be uh, healthcare patient information, mm -hmm. could be credit card information or PII, personal identifying information. If, if it impacts any of those, then the organization are forced to disclose this. Otherwise, the majority of this information we don't hear is happening. You know what? So now our organizations really, they have to, what about small, it doesn't matter the size of the organization either, if they're hacked at all too? Um, smaller and mid-size, as I mentioned, they're more targeted. Right. Um, so um, they shouldn't uh, think that they're not vulnerable. They shouldn't think that we are not big enough for the hackers to come after us. So they should actually start taking, giving importance to cybersecurity and slowly beef up their uh, posture. Yeah. So are you, or is your organization calling on a lot of small to medium-sized business? Like, do you have a, sell, a designated sales team that's focusing on? Uh, we have a very small team. Mm -hmm. um, so um, one of the things we faced, small organization, that when we call them, they say, we don't have a budget. Right. Yeah. So um, we go after mainly mid to large-size organization. Right. Yeah, of course. So are you, are you, it's more so an inside sale or is this more so an outside sale where you, you know, of course everything's changed now, everything's virtual now, but is it, you know, what's the, what's the typical sales cycle look like? Um, so in our short tenure, we have seen um, some sales. We have been fortunate enough to have a very small sales cycle and some uh, that does require, for example, if it's a state entity, or a school, those do require a lengthy uh, because they have to go through budget approvals. In some cases, um, our sales cycle is very small. Yeah. And to answer your other question, um, we are actually concentrating more on the inside sales um, and um, versus uh, the outside sales. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it seems like an easier business model too just because it's just pretty simple. I'm assuming you do a demo. Do you do a demo with all 10 modules or you do a demo with based on what you, what you got out of the customer during the discovery phase? Um, the other challenge here is if we try to do some discovery questions with organization because it's security. They don't want to open up. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, we try to do a story when we do our demo. Uh -huh. um, so, uh, and in our story, we um, try to walk them through or what are some of the pain points the organization went through because a lot of the modules was actually built based on feedback from security leaders, risk management leaders, and we added them in there. So we walked through some of the pain points that organization uh, went through, and then we say, okay, our solution helps address this in this area. And within uh, 20 minutes' time, we give them the higher higher level overview and they have a specific interest in a specific module, we do a deep dive. Mm, gotcha. And so enterprise sales, again, um, getting qualified folks who are good enter in, they cost a ton of money. So that's another setback for us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming, of course, you're dealing with, uh, how, how, typically how many stakeholders are you dealing with when it comes down to making like a buying decision? Not a whole lot. Okay. Uh, because if we can talk with the, um, the CISO, right decision maker, CISO, or yeah, yeah. Or, or IT manager, or information security officer, or so forth. Right. If we um, 
are talking to the right person, it doesn't take that long. Yeah. And we didn't price our solution that high. So um, it's, it's a very affordable. So if, if they see a value, they say, yep, let's go. So the quickest sale that we made was in one day. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, one day solution. They were like, this is a no-brainer, Enterprise brainer, solution, right? yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I need this right now. Sign me up. And the neat part about it is you have such a great uh, short uh, implementation. Like you say you get clients onboarded in what, like a day, two days or so? Yeah. So was it like that when you initially rolled out the MVP? Or did you be able to fine-tune it over time? Um, so the way um, – yeah, it w- to answer your question, yes. Okay. At the very beginning, the way we built our s- solution is that it's a cloud-based solution. So it should not take a lot of customization. And then so th- we build that profiling engine, mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier. So uh, when they're going in to do a risk assessment on the organization, the tool automatically profiles and customizes itself. Yeah. So I'm assuming every entrepreneur has this story, right? In the early days when you were, you know, launching your MVP, what were some of the challenges that you had with with customers uh, that you were you were, you were experiencing that were like, okay, we have to I have to figure this out somehow, right? What were some of those challenges? Um, number one challenge is uh, financial, obviously. Yeah, of course. Uh, working with a very small team, so. Uh, and you, you left your, you were a, a CISO. I was CIO. Oh, CIO. Right. I'm sorry. At a really big company. And you left that to pursue to pursue Zartec. Right? right. 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 So my boss at home was not happy. Yeah. And <laughs> and even the other day, um, uh, because we have not been taking much money out of the company. Uh-huh. Um, so I take a bare minimum as like any founder does. Right. So uh, she had a conversation with me just a few days back and said, when are you going to get serious and get a real job? (laughs) (laughs) Because she had to make a lot of sacrifices on her side. Right. Because we had to cut down a lot of her cost. Yeah. Household cost and cut down on vacation. Um, She had made services, so we canceled those. So we had to adjust ourselves. So what what made you want to make this pivot in becoming a founder? I mean, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people, right, are working the corporate ladder to get up to, you know, to a CIO position, to a CEO position, right, COO. And you get to this, you, you spent your, your career to get to this point. What happened in you that made you say, you know what, I want to found my own company? So um, I'm not, as you can understand, um, I'm not originally from the U.S. Mm-hmm. I'm originally from a country in Bangladesh, and I came here to study. So this country has been great to me, and I, one of the reasons I wanted to give back. So I wanted to build this company that will give the opportunity for a lot of new jobs here locally. So that was the, one, of the, one of the main reasons was uh, creating a company that's going to grow and offer a lot of jobs, at the same time, uh, being able to help the smaller, mid-sized companies more. Um, so uh, this is not my first startup. 30, 33 years ago, um, with three other friends, uh, we opened a French bakery in, back in Bangladesh. And similar to Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, our bakery was in a, in a garage. Uh-huh. It's a pastry shop. 
So uh, I ran it with them for a couple of years. I still own 25% of it. And they ran it and they grew it into a chain restaurants. Mm -hmm. So they have like seven of them. We employ almost 200 employees. So something we opened in our garage is now feeding 200 families. Wow. So that, when I think about it, gives some satisfaction. So I mm -hmm. wanted to redo this now. Mm -hmm. What was it like in those early days c coming here to the U.S. when you first got here? Um, not knowing anyone here in Dallas. So uh, that was well, how, well, how old were you at this, at this point when you first got to I, Dallas? When I came here, I was 25. You were 25. So what made you, what made you choose Dallas? Uh, when I did my research on picking a university, I wanted to pick one that um, was reasonably ranked. Right. And then I also, uh, because I paid for my own studies, so I wanted to pick a university that was within a city limit so I could get a job. And then the one of the biggest factors I looked at was the cost. And this was to get your bachelor's, right? My bachelor's, yes. Right. And so it's funny. And you said you didn't come here until you were 25, right? I. I do have a bachelor's from Bangladesh. So oh. Oh, okay. I have two bachelors and one master's. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, you know, a lot of like, we live in a day and age too, is a lot of like millennials, right? Think Or Generation Z, or is it Generation Z, Generation X? I, I get that it's so confused. Z. Z, right? Yeah. We feel like we, well, I guess we're, we're entitled, uh, or we feel like things happen fast, right? And we want things to happen fast, but here you come, you don't get to the U S until you're 20, you know, you're 25. And then I'm assuming you were, were did you speak, you speak, you spoke very little English, right? Um, I was fortunate to uh, speak English pretty well. Okay. And, but you still, you still come here to this country and, you know, at 25, right. Why some people live been here their whole life and they still feel like they're you know in their early twenties. They, they feel still like, they haven't accomplished as much, right? They still feel like, hey, I still, they, you, you know, on social media, you see so many people have this, the nice cars, the house, and I think we all feel like we're just in a in a rush to have these things, right? And it's, and it, in, in your case, it's never, it's never too late, right? Would you say, would you say that? Oh yeah, definitely, it's never too late to. I started this startup when I was what, um, fifty three. Yeah. Um. So. It's never too late to start something and, and change the world. Go for yeah. it. Yeah, I think that's that's so powerful because it's like we feel like we're in a rush. We feel like we have to have it now, and it's just, it's not the case, you know. Um, it's things, great things, really truly take take time. Exactly. And, and so, over the next five years, where do you see Zartec going? Um, so our solution is fully baked and. The feedback we got from our customers is they really like it. Um, so now it's growing. So uh, next step would be uh, once we have reached a target where we feel that now it's time to go and um, get some capital, raise capital, because without that, we wouldn't right. be able to have that, what you call the hockey stick growth. Yeah. No, that, that's that's impressive. And so, for anyone that wants to get on to the uh, Zartec platform, where can what, what what website can they visit? Or are you all on social media? Yes. Uh, yeah. So on our website is zartec.net slash career. That's where we post our jobs. We have a couple of openings right now, so anyone interested can have a look in there. Okay. Awesome. No. Uh, and then one last thing I always ask just all my guests. 
what what advice would you give to you know uh, aspiring entrepreneurs? Uh, I would highly recommend that they have a very good business plan, and then do a focus group to validate the idea, and and then uh, move on. If just based on that, move forward, because um, I see. And you probably see this. There's a lot of companies who have startups that's out there. And when I look at their uh, business module, I can't imagine how they're going to be raising capital. I'm uh, sorry, making money. Right. Um, so that's the challenge. You have to first, if you have a software or a service that you're offering, you have to do the uh, numbers first. Uh, in my case, I also made the same mistake. Um, I did not do the financial modeling. Um, so my advisor, one of the first things says, hey, Abu, you d have not done a financial modeling that will say, okay, how much are you going to price your software and what's your um, profit margin going to be? So he said, we need to whiteboard it out. So we spent three hours, he did it, um, where he, based on the pricing, he broke it down line by line, added in all the cost and uh, came up with the numbers that will be helping us generate revenue and grow. So um, I would definitely say do a financial modeling on your idea of what you're offering and make sure the numbers make sense. Oh, very well said. Hey, Abu, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Really appreciate it. Thanks again. Thanks. Thank you for having me. No problem. You're listening to The Brilliant Ones Podcast with me, your host, Donnie Adams, a show about entrepreneurs and the companies they build. Join me weekly as I speak with entrepreneurs from all over who share their experiences and advice on the companies they created. And be sure to follow us on YouTube and Instagram at The Brilliant Ones.